Shalom everyone, this is Noach Binyamin, and welcome to Torah Thoughts, a weekly Parsha podcast where I delve into the worlds of Judaism, mental health, and personal growth. In this episode, I speak with Rabbi Shalom Schwartz, founder and visionary of Project Aseret, a global movement focused on learning and living with the core values of the Ten Commandments. This is our second straight episode. Please see part one from last week. And this week, we are going to learn about the relationship between the Shema, the most famous declaration of Jewish identity and existence, and the Ten Commandments. Rav Shalom, uh, welcome to another discussion. We've had lots of these discussions on the Aseret Hadibrot, the Ten Commandments, Judaism, our relationship to it, and deepening our connections with what that means to us on a personal level, on a communal level, and on a human universal level. So thank you for, uh, for coming on to speak to us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for this interview, Noah. So you've been experimenting with something for a while, I would say probably about four months, that is very meaningful for you. Of course, Project Aseret, your relationship with bringing the light and wisdom of the Ten Commandments to back to Jewish consciousness as a centerpiece has been on your mind for a long time. But more recently, you have started to figure out, how can I integrate this into my daily life? And I'm aware of a little bit of a mystery story with relation to the Shema, the declaration that we all are supposed to say twice a day in the Ten Commandments. And you have found an interesting place to bring the Aserat Hadibrot into your everyday life. So I want to give you the opportunity to share a little bit about that and any pieces that you want to bring uh, as the backstory. Okay, well... It's not my invention, first of all. Not, neither, of course, the Ten Commandments are, are certainly not my invention. I didn't neither discover them or uncover them or don't feel that I'm uh, capable of, of, of being the... You know, I'm not, I'm not the Ten Commandment man. I, I, some people have referred to me that way. Anyhow, the, the point being that I, I feel that I am a shaliach of an idea. I feel like I'm, I'm carrying this... A uh, certain emissary of a of an idea, the idea being that the Ten Commandments are the core values of the Jewish people. They do, as the Torah calls them, they are our breed, they're our covenantal identity, and and they represent the means of fulfilling our covenantal vision for ourselves and for humanity. So I, I feel privileged to have uncovered this somewhat overlooked treasure, let's call it. And and happy to uh, to share my perspectives on on what's there. What you referred to actually began uh, on Simchat Torah for me. It's already um, eight nine months ago um, when I was in uh, Ramat Beit Shemesh with my daughters for uh, the holiday. And as things happen, I found myself in front of a book, and the book was had a beautiful picture of the former chief rabbi Rav Mordechai Eliyahu who I was uh, fortunate to have seen, never really spoken to, but I saw him a number of times in the old city when he would receive people during Cholomoed on the Chagim and um, the intermediate days of the holiday of Pesach and Sukkot, he would often uh, receive people in the old city. And I remember watching him and he was a person of tremendous presence and, and had a, a huge, uh, a lot of light coming from him and uh, I was always taken with that. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at his picture in this shul in Ramat Beit Shemesh. And I, I'm looking at it, and it's beautiful. It's like a coffee table book. And 
as it happens, I turn off, I just open the book randomly, and the page that I open to says, why don't we say the Aserah to the brought every day? And I said, okay, thank you, Hashem. Yeah, let me, let me take a look at this. And there were two articles. The book was put together by his son, Rav Shmuel Elio, uh, which it has Divrei Torah on, on all of the parshas of, of, the, of the Torah, from his writings, from his teachings. And this I opened, of course, to uh, Parshat Bet Hanan. It was the book of it's, it's, it's the book that dealt with the uh, Sefer Dvarim, the last book of the, the five books of Moses. And this particular parsha Bet Hanan is where the second iteration of the Ten Commandments appears. The Aseret Dibur. and Rav Chaliyahu discusses what appears initially in the Mishnah in Tamid, uh, and then in the Gemara and Brachot, which basically reports the historical reality that in the times of the temple, the Aserat brought were said daily. And they were said as part of what we call today Kriyachma. In fact, the Yerushalmi, which he quotes there, says it was Gufashel Shema. It wasn't just an introduction to the Shema. It was an essential component of what we refer to as the reading, the recitation of the Shema. Now we know the Shema, I think, can be accurately called the mission statement of the Jewish people. The Shema is not just some sort of a, a formula to remember that God is one. Okay, remember, or as the Rambam even puts it, it's the mitzvah of know that God is one. But as, as we know, there are it's one of the six constant mitzvot. The Shema contains the mitzvah, uh, what the Rambam calls liyachto, to know that God is one. But it's not knowing intellectually alone. It's living with the reality of God's oneness. And as we know, when we say every day in our Aleinu prayer, we have a vision of the oneness of God is to become manifest in the world through the leadership, the spiritual leadership, the practical leadership, the visionary leadership of creating a nation that actually lives with that oneness of God, which includes everything from the Ten Commandments to more, but it certainly it means that the Jewish people are meant to provide this leadership by the way we live, by the way we create a state together, and the so-called oneness of God means that there'll be a recognition of God, godliness in everything, right? One way of putting it is that we bring heaven down to earth. That's one of the ways that we describe the mission of the Jewish people. In Hasidut, that's one of the common ways that it's described. We, we awaken in every aspect of the physical universe, a, an awareness, a consciousness of God, of meaning, of light, and that everything is an expression of a higher purpose, meaning that awareness that comes when you see the godliness in everyone, in every relationship, certainly in human relationships, to, to see the divine in, in all people and to respect it and to engage it and to learn from it. And, and we can imagine a world where everyone would relate to each other through being that equally being an expression of not only a divine image, but the unique expression that that person provides in that respect for the divine image. I'm just explaining very briefly the concept of, of oneness of God is not some intellectual idea. It's not some static um, declaration. It's actually the reflection of... It's the, a work. The, it's an avoda. It's, it's, it's spiritual work that <laughs> needs to be seen and experienced and brought into the world. Exactly. It's an experiential 
um, dimension of our of our lives. That's why meditation is a very useful and important way of of coming into contact with uh, an awareness of the oneness of all things. And when we talk about oneness, we we don't mean the the uh, diminishing of individual um, uniqueness of all parts of creation, individual creation, but we each part contributes to this oneness. It's a oneness that is all inclusive, and yet it reflects the diversity of the contribution of all of the parts. Now I know that that's also a bit of a slogan, but it means that in some ways, when you when you look at another person, I look at you, Noah, and I see a unique individual. I see a reflection of godliness, and I and I want to relate to that. I want to learn from it. But it only can be active if we look at each other and look at the world through this perception of God is everywhere, and God awakens the the potential of everything. So when we say that the Yisera to the Brut are an essential part of Shema, that raises a bunch of questions. You mean, well, how do these two things relate to each other? And and what he says also in that little article is, it's no accident that the Yisera to the Brut appear, the Ten Commandments appear in that parsha, parsha Betchanan immediately prior to the Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, that, those words. That parallels what they did in the temple. Exactly. In the temple, they said the Aseret Hadibrot as part of the, the service, and then they said the Shema, and then the Vahayim Shemoah, and then the Vayomer. And so they structured it based on the Etchanan, which was that you said the Aseret Hadibrot, and the, the beginning of that section, talking about the Aseret Hadibrot, says Shema Yisrael. That's the first words of the section, uh, bringing us to an understanding of the Eserda Dibrot. And then it gets into the Shema. And then the section kind of, there's a section, it's a section. It looks like it's a bit of a section there. Um, well, it, it, if you actually open up the Sefer Torah at that section, yeah. what you see is in one column, the Eserda Dibrot, and the parallel column, because there's 15 verses that separate the end of the Yes, the brought till the beginning of the Shema. But what connects them is in the Torah. We know they're called Hadvarim Ha'ela, right? These these words as the Hayu Hadvarim Ha'ela. That word when we say you should love God, Hashem your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and these words should be on your heart. On your heart. So. That is what that word varim ha'ele, the had varim ha'ele is also with respect to the asert hadibro. That's the what God says, what Moshe says right after saying the asert hadibro. Correct? He said etad varim ha'ele. Right. Exactly. Verse eighteen, which is the verse in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter uh, six, the the verse eighteen begins with the words etad varim ha'ele diber shem chem. These things, these words, these dibrot, these dvarim, dvarim, uh, Hashem spoke to your entire congregation, and then it describes them. They were written on the two luchot, on the two on the two tablets, and then fifteen verses later, uh, sixteen actually, you have the phrase vahayu hadvarim ha'ela again, the same phrase in the in the second verse of the Shema, where it says these things should be on your heart. The Zohar, as one of the sources, specifically points out that that refers to the Aserot that he brought, which is what Mordechai Elio, uh says there. And his point is that he then goes on to say, well, what happened? 
what happened? And the, the Gemara says that they were taken out of the tefillah, taken out of the prayer service. I'll just mention in passing, there's a discussion amongst some scholars and, and amongst the sages even uh, uh, in tradition, whether this was only in the temple that it was said or whether it was in the temple and in the Bate Knesset of that time, the shuls of that time. This is, again, uh, the, the historical period after the destruction of the temple saw the rise of, of, of Bate Knesset, of synagogues, and the presumption of many, and it does seem that that is the implication of the, the words of the Gemara that says bitlum in the past tense. It was, they, they wanted to do it in what they call gvulin, outside of the temple, but bitlum, they nullified it, they negated it um, because of what's referred to as tarumataminim, uh, which is generally understood to be the groups at that time, presumably the early Christians, that were claiming that Rashi brings that down, correct, and that there there was a they were um, they perceived the threat of the early Christians claiming that that's all one had to pay attention to the Ten Commandments. That's it. The rest of the Torah, Torah is is not as relevant and not certainly not as obligatory. So when Christianity was beginning, and it was making in some groups this claim, the rabbis of the time felt that that was going to threaten if it was sustained as a central part of the prayer. They were worried about the influence of this discrepancy between the perception of the Ten Commandments and the rest of the Torah, presumably what we call the rest of the 613 Commandments. So they said, okay, we're, we're taking this out of the tefillah. It's not going to be there anymore. Of course, we still read it in the in the Torah. Uh, when, when we read the Torah in public and Shavuot, of course, we read it. They didn't do anything to that, but then there became a debate whether you should stand when it's spoken, because that also seems to give it, when it's read, I, I mean, it also seems to give it extra importance from the rest of the Torah. So this debate has been going on for, uh, you know, centuries uh, as to what place the Ten Commandments, the Aserathi Brut, should have in our ongoing relationship to the Torah. Now, having said that, it's still, it persisted, as Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says, Jonathan Sachs points out, it's the custom that persisted despite all the opposition, right? You have this opposition, and you think, okay, well, what what, what are they called? Ten Commandments? <laughs> but it persisted because, of course, these, these were the ten things that the Jewish people heard directly from God. They were the things that were written on the Luchot Habrit, the, the uh, tablets of the covenant. They are called the, the covenant. You can't just ignore what the Torah says about them. Okay, we're not going to say them in prayer, certainly not going to say them as part of Shema, but they're still there. And till this day, they appear in many sidurim and the in halacha, the Tur Shulchan Aruch, the Mishnah Brura, all the the poskim, as they're called, the decisors of Jewish law, acknowledge the importance of saying the Aser that they brought daily. They say, don't say it during Shema. That's what Chazal said not to do. Okay, when should we do it? So there's a couple different places. There's a, there's before, like just in the in the section where we talk about the Jewish people's purpose, a prayer called Kabbalat uh, Shamayim, which takes just before the the sections on the korbanot, the sacrifices. It appears there. That's where it appears in many sidurim. That's where um, 
the halacha seems to indicate the best place to say it. Some say it after the prayer service itself, and that's why you'll find it at the end of Shacharit. The marshal uh, would actually say it before Baruch Shamar in public, which seems to be disputed by a number of other commentaries, but it, it's persistent. It's still there. And the importance of this should not be underestimated. That um, just in passing, the Shla Kadosh, the famous uh, author of the book, Luchot Habrit, Shnei Luchot Habrit, is, reports that he said it every night as part of the evening, Kriyat Shema Lamitav, just before we go to sleep. There's a prayer to say the Kriyat Shema uh, before you go to sleep. And that's when he is indicated that also one should say it. All I'm I'm getting to is this Mordechai Eliyahu said, yeah, of course you should say it every day. And even though it was taken out, it's it's the centerpiece of our Jewish commitment. It's the, in my words now, it's the core principles of Jewish life. It's the core values that we need for the fulfillment of our mission as Am Yisrael. How can we not say them every day? Why what 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 would be the significance of losing? touch with that. And and in that regard, I did start saying them at that point. I had been saying them off and on, but since then I've been saying them every day. And I do want to share on a personal level, I have felt the power of the daily recommitment, reconnection with, renewal of my commitment to this covenantal relationship that we have with our mission. God gave us a a covenantal destiny, and he gave us the means to fulfill it, which is led by, which is is uh, introduced by, and the foundations are in this founding mandate called the Ten Commandments. There's more, a lot more to be said about the bigger picture, the fact that we allow, and I'm not getting into, you know, halachic discussions, but the fact that we allow the minim, whoever they were, the early Christians, to dictate how we live our lives today. It's, it's astonishing. Jews who are you know, trying to protect their identity gave up what you would call, I think you call it tehuda. What's the word that you use uh, to describe what you're doing when you say the Ten Commandments now? What, what's the, the phrase? Chidush Abrit. Chidush Abrit. The core statement of our people, we had to censor ourselves. Literally, that is a the fact that we've censored ourselves. we a, a lot in order to protect the integrity of the rest of the Torah. And my mandate in learning about the Aserta Dibrot is that if the Minim's intention was to say that only the Ten Commandments are important and nothing else, every, everything else is not divinely revealed, my goal is to say that through the Ten, we find the rest. And we see that bearing out in many different places in, in Jewish wisdom and law and in lore and missed it everywhere. Everywhere you look, you're going to see something special between the Jewish people and the Aserti Dibrog. But you're talking about something even more fundamental, which is the Shema. Now, it's interesting, for example, I look at it like there's all these signposts, don't go there. Like when I look at Eted Vrima Ela, and I, ha- I, I had this thought last year, uh, I believe on Shavuot or sometime recently when we read the Etchanan, that, wait a second, they're too close together to not be connected. And when I looked, of course, I see the Ibn Ezra say, the meaning, those people said that the Hadvarimaela refers to the Ten Commandments. And you're starting to find this place that wherever we want to look for the connection, the meaning are ruining the party. But if they put that there, they put that there for a reason. 
because there's something there. There's a mystery to be discovered. And we have seen, there's, a, there's an academic work, about 100 something pages written by uh, somebody recently um, about the connection, almost a Sherlock Holmes investigation of the relationship between the Shema and the Aserta Dibrot. So tell us more about that direct connection. We see maybe early scrolls, mezuzot, that contained the, the Ten Commandments. I'm not saying that that is the halachic practice, but what have you discovered and why are you now looking to say the Aserta Dibrot in relation to the Shema? Okay, there, there is some, what caught my attention, what you're referring to is a, um, a master's thesis that was done by uh, Dr. David Matar from Afrat uh, on this question of what happened to the Aserat to be brought. Why were they removed? What's the story? What's the backstory? Because it's very, um, it's, 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 and it's obscure too. There's only a few lines. The Gomorrah doesn't elaborate. We're, we're, we're stuck with some historical speculation as to what actually took place and why, and, and why it, you know, what, what the whole story is there is not entirely clear. You go into uh, every shul and that's what you see. It's a very weird relationship we have with it. It's a very so I, I want to suggest something a little radical. Okay. Uh, although I, I want to stress that I personally uh, haven't um, reintroduced Yisrael be brought to the place that Chazal said you shouldn't do that. I'm, I'm careful to do it in places that have precedent of where to do it. But I want to suggest the following perspective. You know, if you were to ask a Jew 200 years ago, what does it mean to be a Jew? Well, he'd say, uh, you know, I don't know what he would say. <laughs> we, we know he would say that it's 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 his identity. He's you know it's something that gives him nourishment spiritually, intellectually, emotionally. It's it's his lifeline with our tradition. It's something that we carry because we've been carrying it for thousands of years. And and what is it primarily as your identity? Well, I, I think certainly as a North American growing up in Canada, uh, most people would answer, it's a religious identity that I have. Okay, I'm, a, I'm Jew. I'm not Christian. I'm not Muslim. I put on my form under the category religion, Judaism, Jewish. Now, that's one dimension. As I, as I learned in my work with Soviet Jews, uh, former Soviet Jews. I, I, I'll tell a quick story. When I was traveling once with um, a young Jewish leader named Vitali Prus, who started a college for Jewish leadership in Minsk in the 1990s, and we were traveling together between the United States and Canada on a fundraising trip for his college. And when we tread at that time, when you crossed the border from the United States to Canada, one of the things that you had to fill in was the term nationality. So I was traveling on my Canadian passport, even though at that time I already had an Israeli passport, a Canadian passport from America to Canada, the United States to Canada. I had my Canadian, I filled in Canada nationality, Canadian. And Vitaly, what did he fill in? Jewish. He puts on his form, crossing the Canadian border, nationality, Jewish. So I'm looking at a Vitaly. I, I no, no, you can't write that, Vitaly. He said, what do you mean? That's my nationality. He says, no, no, I, you have to write Belarusian. Belarusian? I'm not a Belarusian. I'm not writing that. What are you, crazy? Why, why did he react that way? Because he had, first of all, the only reason, not the only reason, but the ostensibly most powerful reason the Jews remained Jewish through 70 years of the Soviet attempt to wipe out 
Jewish religion and Jewish identity in the Soviet Union is because they had Jewish, Ivrei, stamped on their passport, Hebrew, Ivrei. That was the that was my Jewish identity. So they were very proud, even when they weren't, of course, religious. They had no chance to study religion. They had no sense ability to study any of Torah. So what did they have? They had an identity that was not being Jewish meant a religious identity. It meant a national identity. And and I convinced him for the sake of crossing the border to fill in the word Belarusian, but it was a it was a crisis for him. What are you talking about? And till this day, I remember that event as bringing home for me these parallel and different dimensions of Jewish identity. There's a national identity, there's a religious identity, but in the Torah, we see that it's much more than that. It's it's both of those and much more. I like to until now I've often called it you know, it's it's a, a covenantal destiny that a nation has with God. Since Mount Sinai, we carried a vision for ourselves and for humanity to be the source of blessing to the humanity. So that's a set of religious ideals, for sure, is contained in that mission. But we undertook it as a nation. People can join a nation. They can convert. That's the day that it crystallized our mission as a nation. We came, became a nation apparently already in... in in Egypt, because uh, Paro already called us uh, uh, an um. But we were but still we... in an almost no man's land because we, we had a negative identity, meaning we weren't Egyptian. We weren't those people, and we, we were something. But the Assert Hadibrot gave us a religious identity, but also an identity as a, as a people. So the day that we became a nation, the revelation at Mount Sinai, that text that we talked about introducing the Ten Commandments before the Shema, tells us that it's going to be So this, this was a, a defining moment for us when we became a nation among other nations. And what would be our defining sense of identity, which is both religious and national, our wisdom. And what is being introduced here is the Ten Commandments, the Aserta Dibrot, and of course, the rest of Torah through that. So you're looking at this as sort of something like a badge that all Jews can carry with them across all sorts of identities within being Jewish. How are you seeing this? You've linked it in a very specific way. So tell us a little bit about that. So I... I came across this term in uh, David Matar's book, which I had seen before, that he calls it a shvuat emunim. Shvuat emunim probably is best translated, Pledge of Allegiance. The Pledge of Allegiance. Go. So tell us about how the Aserat Dibrot can become the Pledge of Allegiance that all Jews can feel proud of to, to share. And how do you integrate that with the Shema? And how would you recommend other people relate to it? Okay, so it starts with a recognition that we are messengers. I, I like to use the example of Ravelli. <laughs> Ravelli, that's appropriate. El, Elie Wiesel, the famous author and uh, great Jewish teacher who often would compare the Jewish people to a messenger, modern Jewry, to a messenger that got hit on the head. And when he woke up, he didn't remember who sent him, to whom he was sent, what the content of the message was, or the very fact that we were messengers, that he was a messenger, 
Uh, he completely forgot his own identity as a messenger. So if you consider these four elements, you can see why the Aseret Dibot and the Shema together constitute a remembering of those four elements. Right? Who sent us? Well, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. We're reiterating that we were. This is a God-given shlichut, God-given um, mission. Every morning, wake up and say, "God, God gave the Jewish people and uh, me as one of that Jewish of the Jewish people a mission to whom we were sent." So we actually recognize that the, the Jewish people were not just given this for some Jewish pride thing. Right? We're not some, you know, well, we're here and we're there and we got the Torah. On the contrary, it says in the beginning of the of the Aserati board, we're supposed to be Mamlechet Kohanim Vagoy Kadosh. We're supposed to be spiritual leaders. A, a, a Mamlechet Kohanim means a kingdom of spiritual leaders. Kohanim are spiritual leaders. And we're supposed to create a, a, a country, a state that provides spiritual leadership for humanity. So when we wake up in the morning and we say the Ten Commandments and we say, and the Shema Yisrael, we're reiterating the vision that we have for humanity and we're understanding and committing ourselves to the core values contained in the Ten Commandments as the means to fulfill that mission. So we're going on to the content and ultimately the identity factor is so crucial here. Because we get caught up, we say morning prayers, and we think Judaism's a religion, <laughs> which it also is. Or we keep the Shabbat, and we think Judaism's a religion, or we, whatever, we, we, we don't steal, and we think Judaism's a moral system. And all of those are true, but there's something much more, which is included in the fact that we've now returned to the land, and we have this specific opportunity in our generation to fulfill this mission, we call it Geula, the the state of being of redemption. Uh, we're in a, a we're in a process of redemption, and the very fact that we've been given the state of Israel back after two thousand years of exile is such an opportunity to recommit to this mission because we've been given the means to fulfill it. We're here to create a state that lives with these Ten Commandments and demonstrates to the world what is possible to create a moral and ethical vision and spiritual light. That's what our mission is. And now, after 2,000 years of exile, we can really return to saying these things as individuals and, and together to reawaken that commitment to that mission. And I encourage all of us to, to take that to heart. It's not just for ourselves, but it is also for ourselves because. When you awaken to that mission, there's so much potential that can emerge. When a person knows that they can actually make a difference for humanity and for certainly for the Jewish people and for their families, then there's a sense of not an obligation, the sense of a burden, but an obligation of we can do this. We can get it done. And when you come to life and every morning reiterate that commitment to actually bring that light into the world, there's a spark that emerges. There's a connection to God that emerges. And there's an opportunity to awaken this latent potential that exists in Jews, specifically in Israel. And we invite every Jew to come to Israel and be a part of this. But of course, every Jew around the world can participate in this in their own way. And for that matter, every non-Jew can understand this power of the Ten Commandments as a source of inspiration, wisdom, 
and light in their lives. And the way that you do it in your daily practice in the morning time, you found a place for it. So tell us a little bit about that place. Well, I, it, it's interesting that there is a prayer that is actually called Kabbalat Oma Chut and uh, it, it's placed in between, depending on your siddur, from some other parshiot that are read of the man and the akedah, uh, and and it's just before the korbanot, the sacrifices. Very interesting that if you look in our parsha, we're in Israel we're reading parsha Pinchas, we actually have a reference to the sarah that he brought in the description of the korban tamid. It says asuya bahar sinai, the the. Daily offering in the Torah is described as the one that was made at Har Sinai. And the Sfat Emet has a beautiful explanation of this that reiterates the power that remains from the Aserah that he brought for us today. He says, uh, Asuya Bar Sinai is referring to the Naseh Nishma that we said at Har Sinai. We said we will do the Torah, we will understand it. And the Asiyah, the doing of it, that refers to the Aserata Dibron. The Nishma refers to the Shema. And those go together. Now, seven Nishma will commit to doing these Aserata Dibron. And the Koach of the Aserata Dibron, even after, as he points out, the destruction of the tablets, which we commemorate this coming week on the 17th of Tammuz, the breaking of the tablets represented on some level the apparent breaking of the covenant. But we know we got the second set of tablets. But he says, even with the breaking of the tablets and even with the golden calf worship, which seemed to be a break in our in our covenant, the power of the Ten Commandments remains with us to this day, he describes. And I think anybody who begins to say the Ten Commandments and follows it with Shema will feel that in their lives. It's a power to be tapped into. Nasevanishma. By by committing to the covenant, we begin to understand it. And the Shema reminds us of the vision of the overall mission of the Jewish people. So one thing that people can do wherever they want to add it in, and whether they're going to say the, the, the Ten Commandments from the book of Exodus, the original, or in the book of Deuteronomy, is to say it and then say the Shema and find the link for yourself. Of course, this is a bigger discussion um, in Jewish wisdom and philosophy and, and law. What is the relationship? There is a relationship. There is a relationship. Even when you just look at, you know, um, I think it's in Tell Me to Yerushalmi where it says this part of, of the Shema relates to this Deber, uh, and it goes through all of them. There's there's so many links between the two of them, not to mention, of course, that they are said in the same subsection of the, of the part of the of Sefer Varim. We're meant to look at them. We're meant to investigate and perhaps just, by saying the Asur HaDibrot and the Shema, even if you don't feel that there's a strong connection, even if you don't feel like the Hayud Rimaela is referring to the Ten Commandments, those are two massive things. The Asur HaDibrot, the Ten Statements, the Ten Core Values of Our People from which all mitzvot emanate, or Sheikho mitzvot, and the Shema, which contains all of the Six Constant Commandments. There are six mitzvot that we can always tap into and connect to. And in the Shema, we see all of them. We see that there is a God, to know that there is a God, to know that God is one, to love God, to fear God, that's all there. Don't go after your heart and your eyes. And there's one other that I'm missing. It might also be in the Shema. Oh, there should be should know, no other gods, right? So between the Shema and the Aserat HaDibrot, you have all the Dibrot and you have all the con constant mitzvot. You're pretty much covered. 
And hopefully not just saying it, but internalizing it and allowing it to permeate your home, wherever you are, when you're walking on the street, when you're walking at home, when you're going out, when you're sleeping, when you, again, it's all in the Shema and it's not meant to just be said, it's meant to be lived. I think as Rav Noach uh, Weinberg always is saying, we don't put these in this sort of, sort of an amulet. You don't say, have the mezuzah that just says, you know, love God. No, it's, it's meant to impact you and impact your home. So thank you so much for, for listening, everybody. And uh, we hope to have more of these explorations. Music and theme song written and performed by Yaakov Vashilevich. Produced by Eitan Katz. To hear the full song, please click on the link in the description. And to support Torah Thoughts, please consider donating to the tip jar on a monthly or one-time basis, however small. And of course, the link is also in the description. Please give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts.